The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hey everyone, this is Jack. Happy New Year from the History of Literature podcast. Now, as we get ready for some new beginnings, we wanted to share a show that we think our listeners might enjoy. Something you might want to put on your listening list. It's called Life and Art from FT Weekend. It's a twice-weekly culture podcast from the Financial Times. On Mondays, Life and Art explores everything from food and travel to philosophy and creativity. And on Fridays, three Financial Times journalists discuss a new cultural release, anything from Dolly Parton's Staying Power to Ridley Scott's new film, Napoleon. Now, did you all have a good holiday season? One of the things I felt acutely is how hard it is to buy presents for people and how wonderful it is when you manage to find the right gift for the right person. The episode we're sharing today is about books that make great gifts. What books will get someone out of reader's block? What's a good present for a family member who loves history or a friend who's anxious about the world? The FT's book editors give their hard-earned advice. Put these on your list for the next birthday or holiday season or, hey, maybe because you feel like you didn't quite connect this year. There's nothing wrong with buying a book for a friend or loved one just to tell them you care. And if you like what you hear in this episode, you can find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you get your podcasts. This is Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. This week, we're combining two things that feel equally important in December. One is choosing a great book to read over the holidays from all the incredible books that came out this year. And the other is frantically buying gifts for the holidays. Our books team here at the Financial Times has recently published their beautiful annual Books of the Year special, and they're here to give us some recommendations for great books to buy your friends and family members this holiday season. Joining me from London is literary editor Fred Studeman and deputy books editor Laura Battle. They are regulars and friends of the podcast. Hi, Fred. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Lila. It's so nice to have you. So before we get into advice, first, big picture, how are you feeling about this year in books? Well, if I if I can start, I'd, I'd say it was, um, I, I, did, I think it's quite a good year, but I have mm. to give you one big qualification in that my own reading has been quite strange uh, because I ended up judging <laughs> not one but two prizes, which is a very silly thing to do in one year. So I did an, a fiction prize at the start of the year, the International Booker mm-hmm. Prize. So that's for fiction and translation into English. And then in the second half of the year, I uh, was chair of judges of the Bailey Gifford Prize for nonfiction, mm-hmm. which is um, one of the big uh, nonfiction prizes, certainly here in the UK. So that basically sorted my reading list for the year. Okay. Well, it sounds like you are... <laughs> you <laughs> need, you need a month off. I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. Welcome back to the world. I'm now just listening to audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give your eyes a break. Yeah. Uh, Laura, what about you? What did you find yeah. in this year um, I mean, I've, I've just been on to comment to a different role on Life and Arts for the last uh, few months, but I've spent much, much of the year on the book's desk, reading as widely as possible and obviously paying attention to all the uh, book uh, awards that, that have 
throughout the year. But I have to say, I've come with a, a list of recommendations, none of which, I don't think, appeared on the Booker shortlist. Um, we should say here that the Booker Prize is probably the biggest award in the world for English fiction. And that's a different category than what Fred judged for, the International Booker. Yeah. Um, that's for books that have been translated into English. But anyway, that um, that's just what I've I've come with today. You know, recommendations, that, that, that things that I've loved, but haven't necessarily all got the recognition I think they deserve. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we're talking because I felt like uh, you both sound really positive about this year in books, and this is very subjective, but I felt it wasn't a great year in new books for me only because I found myself starting a lot of books this year and not finishing them. Um I ended up in a lot of kind of small internal novels of like kind of lonely women around my age. <laughs> and I realized as I was reading them that this wasn't really where I wanted to be. And um, and so it was easy for me to sort of generalize and think, OK, well, that's the way this year in books was. But maybe it was just about the way I was choosing. Hmm. Yeah, That's really interesting you say that because that's something on the international booker. So we notice what you've just described, Lila, and mm. people in the literary, the, the sort of among the critics here, there was a, um, a piece in one of the weekly magazines about a month or two ago, which was identifying that genre. You've just, that type of literature you've just been referring to. And mm -hmm. I wonder if there's, I mean, what this, you know, what some people here are saying, I don't know what it's like over, over in the States, is that that, maybe running its course that, mm. you know, maybe we've just had overload of that style. So yeah, might... that makes sense. And I don't, I have to say, I don't want to discourage women from writing books about themselves. <laughs> I think that's no. great. Um, I'm, I'm reacting to a few books like The Guest by Emma Klein and Really Good Actually by Monica Heisey. Yeah. I liked the beginning of these books, but they were kind of like sad, lonely little worlds. And mm. I kind of craved a bigger book, like something that I could escape out and into. But that said, I know this style of book is not a woman thing. You know, this was popularized for millennia by men <laughs> who are still also doing it. Yeah, I think there's there's been a lot of debate, hasn't there, about the demise of the of the white male novelist. Mm -hmm. But the book of shortlist had three Pauls on it. So yeah. I think it's sort of three slightly... Pauls? The name three Pauls? Yeah. <laughs> the name Paul. Yeah. yeah. So I think it like, can be slightly overstated at, yeah. at times. Yeah. yeah. Am I right in thinking there were more Pauls than women on the shortlist? Yeah. Yes. That's, oh, that's cool. Little... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so listeners sent us a ton of questions uh, of people that they're trying to buy books for for the holidays. And we sort of group them into categories to talk through. We will put all of your recommendations into the show notes so that listeners don't have to worry too much about, I don't know, taking notes while they're commuting or whatever. Um, okay. uh, and so the first category of questions was along the lines of the problem that I had this year, which is that a lot of listeners were asking for a book that would really suck them back into reading fiction. Um, someone who wrote in called it Reader's Block, where you kind of can't seem to be able to finish a book. Um, what would you say, um, Laura? Well, I've got a slightly unusual suggestion for this mm. uh, predicament, which mm -hmm. is to try a book written for children. Mm. Um, I'm halfway through this novel called Impossible Creatures by Catherine Rundell. And I was, I think, on this podcast last year, raving about her biography of John Donne, mm. which was um, written for adults. But she's a celebrated children's author. Mm -hmm. um, and this 
book, this new book of hers, is the first in a planned trilogy. And it's about this magical archipelago where mythical creatures like griffins and unicorns still exist alongside humans. Um, But these creatures are starting to die off and the two central characters, their two friends, uh, children, um, Mm -hmm. the story follows them as they try to find out why. Mm. Um, And it's a gripping adventure story. It's it's probably perfect for readers between the ages of about nine and 15. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'd really urge adults to read this book because it's it's just so beautifully written. um, And it's just a sort of very refreshing read. It's a really good idea. I think also a lot of people, like their memories of really getting sucked into a book were from young adults. Yes, it, it, exactly. <laughs> the experience kind of reminds you what it's like to be 12, whatever, yeah. just sink into a book and really be totally unaware of the world. So yeah. I think that would be a good way back into reading. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Fred? Well, I can't top that, but I mean, one book that I... Um, <laughs> I tell you, one book I really enjoyed was House of Doors by mm. Twine Eng. Yeah, I love that too. Which is yeah. sort of quite, sort of quiet in a certain way, and very, and it's not very. I mean, it's in a way. Am I allowed to even say it's slightly sort of old-fashioned? I mean, it's sort of yeah. more traditional <laughs> in approach. Let's put it that way of how he goes about it. But it's, um, I, I really enjoyed that, and that did sort of take me into another world. Where I mean, I don't want to give the whole story, but it's a character sort of at a certain point in their life reflecting back to an earlier period in the 1920s and it's set in um, East Asia and and the various relationships and the hidden truths but it's done in a way that's it's very elegantly done he sort of blends real life doesn't he with real I really enjoyed that that was a lovely just you know that sense of just taken off into a different world and and just going with it and, and enjoying it oh that's great Our colleague, Mark Filipino, uh, the yep. host of FT News Briefing, <laughs> he wrote we in... We all revere Mark. <laughs> we love Mark. Uh, we wrote it, He wrote in because he's concerned about decision fatigue with books. He said, like, you know, one of his biggest barriers to reading is choosing a next book. Like, choosing the next book it, it can feel like an uphill battle every time. Do you have any advice for that? It'd be very remiss of us not to recommend <laughs> the books of the year. Yeah, exactly. I did, I did. That was yeah. page of the FT yeah, and online. Real <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would suggest going to a real bookshop yes. and a proper bookshop and mm. preferably a small independent bookshop where people are, the, the people that work there are putting a lot of time into their curation is just yeah. a word that's sort of become almost meaningless now but you know what I mean that the, into their selection that what's on display mm-hmm. I find it I can wander around huge bookstores and and really come away with nothing and and I can go into a small bookshop and and just want to buy 20 books I'd second that yeah yeah it's funny you say that because this is one of the books are one of the few pieces of culture that you can still give as a gift in a physical way. Like mm, an album, right, a mu- yeah. music is harder now. Movies are harder. A TV show, you can't really give someone a DVD. Um, I don't know. There's something kind of nice about that. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, another bucket of questions that we got were recommendations for well-written history books. Um, this came from listeners, from FT readers, from colleagues, probably unsurprising from the FT. But one came from our U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel. He asked for something to get his dad, who loves U.S. history, especially biographies. Um, another listener said that they're looking for books about history where the author writes more like a novelist than like a historian. Um Fred, you did a lot of nonfiction reading this year. Uh, what would you recommend? Oh, there's so many um, good ones out. We had one, but it's not a short book, but mm -hmm. it's beautifully written by a historian called Christopher Clark. It's called Revolutionary Spring, and it's about the revolutions of 1848 in Europe. They're the sort of forgotten revolutions or the sort of forgotten big events squeezed between you've got the French Revolution, which changes absolutely everything, and then you've got the First World War, which changes everything. And somewhere in the middle there... There are these revolutions that happen all across the continent of Europe. Mm. And his argument is that they they were pretty much all put down, but he says they actually changed everything. They, oh, wow. so it's the prelude to the modern world. And he writes beautifully. He's in command of the big picture, so he tells you sort of why this is important. But he's also a master of telling bits of colorful details. So you... You know, he takes you into the world of provincial France and what silk weavers were earning and oh, cool. how, how much their rent was and how much the bread was. And then that explains to you all the social distress. So, I mean, that's sort of, if you like, your big classical, big history book. Mm. Laura, what about you? Were there any books that were like history related that really stood out to you this year? Yeah, um, one that I'd flagged that's got quite a lot of attention um, and has certainly been very popular among FT staff mm -hmm. is Red Memory by Tanya Brannigan, um, mm. which is a, a really compelling account of China's cultural revolution, um, told through the lives of, of different individuals. And she and, and Tanya Brannigan looks at how how its legacy has really shaped China today. Mm -hmm. One very quickly big American biography, which has got, was really King, A Life by mm -hmm. Jonathan Eig. And that is a new biography of Martin Luther King that manages the extraordinary thing that a story, a life that has been so often told to, to, to retell it with a lot of verve and you're just turning the pages. And it's a fascinating illumination of his life, but also the, the times in which he lived. It does draw on some new research or some archival material that's been released. So... Perfect. Um, does bring something fresh. That sounds great. Okay, so I will ask uh, one quick question from a listener uh, that I'm curious about. Uh, a listener said, I feel like a lot of people have someone they want to give a self-help book to, but doing that is quite a statement. Are there uh, fiction alternatives that can deliver certain messages in a softer way? So this person specifically wanted to uh, give a book to a relative who's suffering from social anxiety that wanted to help them uh, see the world as more, like a more warm, welcoming place. Is there like a, I don't, what would be a good approach to that? Maybe a uplifting kind of short novel or something like that? Well, I would have suggested the, the Catherine Rundle book, um, Impossible Creatures, which I the children's talked about book. before. Yeah. yeah, I think for all the reasons I was explaining before, I think this would be be great for somebody like that. It's a very, mm -hmm. it's a sort of life-affirming read. Were there other books that felt sort of like, like you left feeling good <laughs> from this year? If only. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, I, I loved The Fraud by Zadie Smith. And you it's did. very, there's a, it's, it's a historical novel mm. set in, in Dickensian London, but it's centered on a really brilliant 
but thwarted woman called uh, Eliza Touche. Mm. Um, so the book examines class and race and and disinformation and a lot of the things that that concern us now. Um, but mm. uh, Zadie Smith, she's obviously done a huge amount of research and it's a very clever book and at times very funny book. Mm. Um, and I finished it feeling kind of uplifted because it was mm. just such a brilliant, brilliantly written book. God, you made me want Great. Yeah. I know, I've been wanting That's, to read that too. Yeah, now I, want to read yeah I, I really loved it. Thanks. Um, I'd love to take a few minutes now to, to give a few book recommendations that would work well for a lot of people as gifts. Um, I was thinking about what books I tend to give as gifts. And one uh, category for me is a book of poems. I think that's like usually a nice gift with like a candle or some socks. (laughs) Um, Partially because uh, people rarely buy poetry for themselves and uh, it doesn't really demand a lot of work from the recipient. Mm. So if I had a recommendation for a gift, I would for multiple people or people that you don't know that well, I would say Mm. a book of poems. Um, There's a poet, Alex Dimitrov, who lives in New York. He's in his 30s. He writes very relatable poems, both big and small. Um, Hmm. sometimes about being on the subway, sometimes about, you know, screens and meetings and sometimes about love. Uh, so that's what I would recommend. Hmm. Do you have a, would you, what, what book would you recommend for either of you? Well, uh, I agree with the poetry thing and I'm, I'm also a complete sucker for those sort of aspirational outdoorsy books. And I happened to see there was a new book out called Cabin, mm-hmm. just called Cabin. I think a few years ago there was one called Cabin Porn for the really diehard fans <laughs> of this, the sort of hardcore Where fans of this, this genre. Um, uh, a cabin is about how to build a retreat in the wilderness. And I, I find there's something about the holiday season where you sit around and you think, yeah, you're gonna totally do got time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah, totally exactly. make time next year to build a cabin or a treehouse. Yeah. What is or my alternate so, life plan? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Do you read those Norwegian sort of wood books? <laughs> it all started with how yeah. to chop wood. Or yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those books always make fun gifts. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. I mean, another small one, if you're thinking of with socks and cans, I mean, I think both Laura and I are great fans of Claire Keegan. Oh, mm. yeah. You know, and um, she, I mean, it's a bit, there was a bit of a debate about whether it fully qualifies as a novella, her latest, the, the one that came out this year. It's almost oh, yeah, like it's 50 pages, pages yeah. 60 pages. What is, the, what is it called? Uh, so Late in the Day. So Late in the Day. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really essentially, look, to be honest with you, it's, it fits your um, criteria exactly. Like, I think it's really a short story that's been mm. packaged up as if it was a... Beautifully packaged. Beautifully yeah. packaged, so that, you know, yeah. people would be happy to receive that, I'm sure. Yeah, that's good. And her book from 2020, Small Things Like These, was beloved. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Fred, Laura, this has been wonderful. (laughs) Such a delight. I've got a long, long list now for uh, a long list of recipients. So thank you so much. And um, please come back again soon. Thanks, Lila. Thank you. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Take a look at the show notes. We have every book that Fred and Laura recommended there. We also have links to some great collections from the Books of the Year special. Those links will all get you past the paywall on FT.com. 
In the show notes, we also have discounts for a subscription to the Financial Times and ways to stay in touch with me and with the show on email, on X, or on Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my talented team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely week, and we'll find each other again on Friday.